Did you know I offer one-on-one mindset renewal sessions? Maybe you feel unclear about God's call in your life because of all the other noise around you. Maybe you are stuck in a constant comparison cycle. Or maybe you can't silence the negative, self-loathing thoughts that keep invading your mind. In my one-on-one sessions, we use biblical truth to rewire your mind, take your thoughts captive, and move in confidence where God is calling you. Send me an email at carlaargeswellness.com to find out more. You'll leave with the tools you need to rewrite the script in your head and take control over your life. Again, email me at carlaargeswellness at gmail.com and I'll send you all the information you need to get started. I cannot wait to hear from you. Welcome to Affirming Truths. I'm your friend and host, Carla Arges. This show is a safe place to share our struggles, grow in faith, and root our identity in Christ. My hope is that you will leave each episode feeling encouraged in your journey. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review. I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hello, Affirming Truth family. It is your host, Carly here. I am so glad you're here, Um, especially for this conversation I'm going to have with our special guest, Lori Ann Wood. She is an author, award-winning writer, and we're going to talk about her new book that recently came out, Divine Detour. And Lori, I got to tell you, what really stood out to me, what really popped was that title, Divine Detour, because I know in my own life, things haven't panned out the way I thought they were. And I think if a lot of us are honest with ourselves, that happens, right? Divine Detour. Now, what brought about this book? Like, what was your experience with a Divine Detour? Mm -hmm. Well, this all started about it's been a little over seven years ago. I was kind of feeling sluggish. I had kids at home. It was kind of, it was right before Thanksgiving and I was just running around doing all the things for Thanksgiving. I had some of my older kids coming home from college and trying to make the holiday ready. And I, I I didn't feel like myself. I didn't feel horrible. I didn't feel that bad, but I just couldn't, I didn't have any energy And I finally went to my primary care doctor the day after Thanksgiving and was just immediately, he did a chest x-ray and he found that my heart was very enlarged. And my Cleveland Clinic doctor later told me it was the largest heart she'd ever seen. Wow. And it was, yeah, I had no idea. And it was functioning at just 6%. So I... It was the last thing on my list of worries, health worries. Yeah. I, you know, I worried about cancer. I worried about so many things, but heart disease was not in my family. I had no risk factors. I had no lifestyle indicators. In fact, I had just the opposite. I had a medical evaluation done three weeks prior to this diagnosis. And they said, your numbers are so good. You're 
cholesterol is good. Your blood pressure is good. All the numbers are so good. You have less than 3% chance of ever developing heart disease. And then three weeks later, I, I'm direct admitted into cardiac intensive care. And I spent 10 days there just with defibrillator pads stuck to my chest and crash cart right outside my door. And doctors were not hopeful that I would leave the hospital, Mm. which was a weird thing to happen when you just thought you were going to go get an antibiotic or maybe a steroid shot. And I can imagine that everything would have been swirling, like Mm. to process that in the moment, you're healthy, you're young, you've just been given this vote of confidence in your health. And here you are not, not expected to live essentially. Like they doubted. Mm. How did you process that? Well, I, I didn't do a very good job of it at first, to be honest with you. I, I had this mentality, even though doctors were dropping little hints here and there and I knew things were happening when they were giving me oxygen and all these things were kind of happening that I I was so unfamiliar with. I had never been in the hospital outside of childbirth. So this was just a really weird experience overall. But faith-wise, I wasn't handling it really well. I, I felt kind of abandoned by God. I just... I was very confused at that point. And it's kind of embarrassing to say to be... You know, I've been a Christian all my life. I raised in a Christian home and raised my kids in the church and ran up onto this detour in my life. And I just had some really basic questions. And it was, I was a little bit embarrassed. And I was also thinking all these people prayed for me for months and months on end. I still have the framed prayer chains where people were getting up in the middle of the night to pray. And I felt like it was my fault that they weren't having their prayers answered because Mm -hmm. I thought, I don't really, I feel so distant from God. So I started taking notes in a journal and really just, it started out to just be complaints and questions when I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night in the hospital, I would just be writing these down. And those kind of grew into more full-bodied writings and then they eventually over several years, I've developed all this thoughts and complaints and whatever you want to call it into this book. And, you know, it's, I love that you're honest to say that you were embarrassed because I think, unfortunately, that happens with a lot of Christians. We come to what, what my pastor would call the dark night of the soul when we, when we need to wrestle with God. And we're embarrassed to share that and we isolate ourselves when really that's an opportunity to dig into community more and to dig in more. Because I think the truth is that we're all going to have that time where we wrestle. Like, look at Jacob, like he wrestled. We wrestle with God when we don't understand these things. I know in my own detours, it's like, why God? Why Was that a big question that came for you? It really did. And I, it was the time where I felt like God was kind of ignoring me because I, Mm -hmm. I went for 16 months. I left the hospital with an external defibrillator vest and I wore that for nine months. And then I had an internal device placed and 
I just wasn't getting any better. They were doing all the medications they could do. I was doing everything I could on my end, including way too much Googling to figure out what in the world <laughs> was happening. <laughs> but nothing, I wasn't getting any better. And I I just felt like I was God was ignoring me. You know, I could imagine him with his fingers in his ears humming every time I was praying to him, like he's just not, he knows this is happening and he's just not listening. And I think the the risk that people have when that happens. And it it happened to me for a brief time is that our tendency is to say, I have this faith and it's sort of fragile and I'm going to put it up on a shelf. And when my life isn't matching up with what I imagined, I'm, I'm just going to leave it on the shelf because I don't know how to reconcile that with what's happening. And when my life comes back together, I'll get it down again. But like you were saying, that's when we strengthen our faith, when we get down there and we poke it and we prod it and we wrestle and we, we have like those weeks and months when I was wrestling with God, I couldn't put him on the shelf because it was on my mind all the time. Why is this happening? So every day God was top of mind to me and that's when I knew that this questioning and this doubt and and all of the wrestling I was doing, that wasn't the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith was what I wanted to do in the beginning, which was put him on a shelf and leave him there and get back to him when things were perfect. So when I was in there wrestling and, and you talked about Jacob and all of those other people in the Bible that wrestled, that didn't weaken their faith. That got their faith stronger mm. and more defined and clearer. And that's, that. you know, the alternative is to walk away. But I had to fight that because I wanted to walk away. And I have to tell you that there were months in there where I really felt distant from God. I felt like I couldn't pray. I felt like I didn't have the right words because it was almost like a betrayal. Like I, we were friends, you know, we, we've been through a lot together and where are you now? I'm not seeing you now. And during that time, I learned that you can, in the short term, you can borrow words from other people because those are the times when those words become so valuable. I told you about the prayer chains. They were praying and and holding me and tethering me to God when I was just wanting to, mm, I, I I couldn't find him. And I, I couldn't find the, and I think when we're in a really dark detour, sometimes it's really hard to read the Bible or to listen to straight up sermons. It's just hard to hear sometimes. And so I was borrowing words from other books, from other people who had been through suffering and reading that. And that was my temporary tether. And then amazingly, one of the strongest tethers was songs, Christian music. Those words could seep in there when mm -hmm. I was just really resistant. And, and so in the short term, I think when you're feeling that distance and that doubt and you almost feel betrayed it's okay to borrow words and to hold on to that lifeline so that you can get in there and wrestle with God when the time comes. And 
that was something I kind of had to learn. Mm, I love that. Um, and I loved you, the use of the word tethered. I often use that word myself in, in looking at sort of my unanswered prayer um, for my mental illness and how God and his sovereignty has chosen not to heal me, but has created a tethering out of that situation to him. So I cling to him and I rely on him in perhaps a deeper way than I would have if I wasn't faced with that. Oh, yeah. You know, you wrestled, you wanted to walk away. How did you get to the other side of that? Because clearly you didn't walk away because here you are writing about it, encouraging other women. How did you go from, where are you, God? You're not listening. You're not being faithful to me. You're not keeping your promises to, oh, I want to point others to Jesus in their time of wrestling. Mm. It took a while and I'm not really a patient person, so that was <laughs> kind of hard. But in that silent time, and uh, there was about 16 months where I just felt like nothing was happening. There, the, the prayers would go so high and then fall back down to earth and that nothing was happening. So I learned a few things about that silent period because I've, I thought of it as a time when God and I were separated and there I needed to find my way back to him. But actually what's happening when you have that time, when you feel like God is silent and you feel like maybe you can't talk to him. I learned that the power of prayer mm. is not so much in getting an immediate resolution, right? He could have uh, healed any of us immediately. We know that he has that power, but what the power of prayer is, is in building this relationship. And I remember my husband saying this early on when we were, you know, having people pray for us and all, all the things we were trying to do and nothing was happening. He said, we're trading what we can't keep for something we can never lose. And I think about that a lot because we were, we were so intent on a physical healing, but all the while knowing that that would still only be temporary. Even yeah. if I were to be healed in this life, it would only be temporary. And what God's always been more concerned with than our physical healing is our spiritual health and that survival that lasts into eternity. So what he was doing in that silent period was getting my attention and saying, you're, I've got you here and you're contending with me and you're questioning me and we have this relationship going. And that is the value of this silent period. And if I were to immediately, if he were to immediately heal me, that never would have taken place. Mm. And so that was one of the benefits of that period of silence. And Another one is that during those months, I gained a perspective because I had been teaching college for about 25 years. And I, after my heart was in such bad shape, I realized I couldn't stand up and do a lecture for two hours at a time. I just didn't have the stamina uh, or the breath to do it. 
but I realized that I could sit at my computer and type mm. almost all day long. And I started writing things and really exploring that part of me that I would never have taken the time in a safer, healthier life to do it. So that was a blessing that came from the pause, from the silent period. He wastes and nothing. I, you know, I, I love that. He wastes nothing. No. And, and I think we want to speed past him so much because that's how we're wired, or at least it's how I'm wired. But by him making me stay in that pause, I got it. Finally, mm. I got it. And, and the other thing I learned during that time where there was no healing and there was no, uh, there was felt like that distance between God and I is I started to understand that this side of eternity, some things are just not going to fix. And that doesn't mean that he can't fix it. It's just, it just means that this world is a different world. It's temporary. And we weren't ever meant to be here forever. And I remember a friend of mine dropping by maybe the second or third day after I knew I had heart failure and he's a doctor, but he wasn't my doctor. He just happened to be a doctor. That was my friend. And he said, this is abysmal. He said, the heart is the only muscle that can't heal itself, which I didn't know. I didn't know anything about hearts at that point. And what he was saying is that once the heart tissue is damaged, they can prop it up on medication and devices and lifestyle changes, but it doesn't regenerate new tissue. And I didn't want to believe that. <laughs> but by reflecting back on that in those periods of time where nothing was happening, I realized that really my treasure was on the other side anyway. Mm. And my focus was so much on this side that I was missing that in the short term. So there were just so many benefits from that silent pause that I lived through. And I started to write and I realized that those questions that I was asking and kept asking and asking and asking, I I didn't so much want an answer to, but I just wanted permission to ask the question. Mm. And everybody that was reading, uh, you know, I was started a blog because it was easier to keep people up on my medical events just through a blog. And then I started getting feedback from people saying, I don't have heart failure like you do, but boy, I'm asking the same questions in my life because I had a divorce I wasn't expecting mm. or an adult child that has a problem or there were so many things. And I knew then that what I needed to write was going to be about these three questions, not just for someone who's going through a health crisis or someone who has anything to do with heart, but it's really for anybody that's on this path that they didn't choose, which is pretty much everybody. Yeah. What are those three questions? Well, those three questions, it's a funny thing that happened. I I started just writing what was coming out of my heart. And some of it I woke up at night and scratched on a pad and and some of it wasn't pretty and it had to be <laughs> had to be made for public view. But I started just putting them 
in different documents and different sticky notes. And they seemed like they didn't go together. It's just stuff that was pouring out of me. And I started to move those around as people were talking to me about, I'm asking that same question. They started going into these three categories, which was weird to me because I had never thought of them that way before. But I started realizing there's just really three big questions. And turns out those were the same three issues that Jesus faced when he went into the desert right before he started his public ministry. And we usually call those the temptations. But when you think about what a temptation is, any temptation is really just a question we're asking in our head. We're saying, should I do this? Is it worth it? What's the real deal here? And those three questions are, if you think back to, especially the account in Matthew of Jesus being in the desert, the first question is, is this life all there is? Because what Satan had asked Jesus the the first time when he tempted him was tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus had to be thinking as a very hungry human being, he had to be thinking, if this life is all there is, I should just eat that bread. I should be worried about my current physical well-being. It should be the most important thing. And so we ask ourselves that sometimes, should I be just focused on my physical health and my own comfort and my success here on earth? And should I be focused on this life or is there something beyond this life that I can look forward to and sacrifice for? And so that's the first question. And I, I call that the question of worry when I say, is this life all there is? And so I look at things like loss and uncertainty and fear and regret. And that, and, and then the second, if you remember when Jesus went into the desert, the second temptation in Matthew is when Satan told Jesus to throw himself down and the angels would catch him. And what, what Jesus heard, and I think what we hear is, just go ahead and jump because you're God's favorite and he won't let you be harmed. He's not going to let you be hurt. He's not going to let you suffer because he loves you. He would not let you suffer if he loved you. And so the question that we get is a question of doubt. And that question is, is God always good? Is he always, does he always have my best interest at heart? Is he a good God? And we wrestle with things like protection and resilience and vulnerability and idols. And we ask that question all the time. I, I mean, I did in my journey where I doubted if, if God was sort of on my side. Mm. And I think this is a really common faith question about, can God be good if people are suffering? And so I look at that from a lot of different angles, but mostly it's the, like I mentioned before, not so much just giving answers and a list of answers, but giving ways for people to explore that question in their own life and permission to ask that question and to still be faithful in the asking of it. Mm. 
So that's the, and then the third question is when uh, Jesus was in the desert and Satan said, bow down to me and all these kingdoms will be yours, everything that you see. And that's what I call the question of control, because what we're asking is, is God's plan enough? Is Should I be following God's plan or do I have control over some of this? Should I have say in some of how this is going? And how does all that work? Do I have to be all in? And you know, sometimes we can feel like we're wasting our life or we miss the idea of what we were supposed to be doing. And that that's a question that I looked at in, in the third part of the book where I looked at things like disappointment mm-hmm. and waiting. We've all experienced waiting yes. where we're like, is this God's plan? I don't know. It just feels like a bunch of waiting and, and failure when we feel like we we were doing what God wanted and it didn't work out. How's how does that work? And and then just trust in putting our trust in in God and his plan and his bigger plan for our part of the story. Mm, I love that. And I can say I have wrestled with all those questions as a product of childhood trauma and just my life not going where I had envisioned it. And I think you're right. We all wrestle with those questions. And it's not so much that we have the question. It's what do we do with the question, right? Where do we go? Where do we turn? Where do we look for answers in that? What would you say to the woman right now who is just at the beginning stages of a divine detour who is still processing it and like wondering where God is, what encouragement would you give her? Well, I think God is inviting questions. If, you know, if you look through the Bible, he's never shied away from questions or complaints. And he's a God who wants to keep the conversation going. So if that involves questions to keep the conversation going, then that's what we need to lean into. And especially I think as moms and, and women, sometimes we're afraid to ask questions. We think that it means we're not capable or uh, we're not the person for the job or it shows weakness of some kind. And I, I, you know, I mentioned, I felt that way. I was a little bit embarrassed myself because what we want to do, and I did this as a mom, we want to just put a Band-Aid over the problem and cover that up. And and maybe I wasn't very good about encouraging my kids to ask faith questions because it was just easier to put a Band-Aid over it and cover it up. But we know, moms know that Band-Aids don't heal what's mm-hmm. underneath there. Yeah. <laughs> All it does is hide it. In order for that to heal, it has to have air and sunshine and it has to breathe. And the same thing with our faith questions. We can't just put them under a bandaid and say, you know, choose joy or trust God or, you know, one of those things. If, if there's something that's really bothering you, you have to get in there and give it some air and give it some light and let it heal so that you can move on with your faith. And it doesn't mean that, you are weak in your faith to ask those questions because I think it it demonstrates to God that you believe in him 
that you're even coming to him with the question. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're saying, I don't get it, God, you're saying, I know you're there. I know you're capable of doing something. I know you're powerful. And that in itself is a statement of faith. Mm. So you're already a step into really strengthening your faith by just admitting that you have a question and that you're going to address it to God. So I would just encourage that and um, lean into the questions for sure, mm-hmm. as and sooner than I did, hopefully. And so it's been six or seven years and you're still here. You left that hospital. How are you feeling now? What's going on now? Yes, I I did leave the hospital. I so I I wore the defibrillator vest for nine months, and then at about twelve or thirteen months, I got an internal device, and still nothing was really. I wasn't getting any better, and we were kind of running out of bullets at that point. But a strange thing happened at about. Well, not about, it was exactly 16 months to the day that I was first diagnosed. I, I came down with appendicitis and I went into the hospital not knowing I had appendicitis, but I said, wow, your appendix needs to come out, but no one will do surgery on you with your weak heart. We're going to have to think about this. And they decided to do a test on my heart to test its function to see where it was. And amazingly, it came back that my heart was functioning almost at normal. Amazing. And I had no idea. And, you know, that was a point, there's just markers in the journey. That was a point where I thought, that's my story. It's over. Uh, It's a story of healing and the answer to prayer Mm -hmm. and provision. And I was ready to tell that story. And I was telling that story. And then about three years ago, my heart function dropped and I was in active heart failure again. And so it's, it's a confusing journey, but what I learned about it in general is that heart failure is a chronic progressive disease. So what that means is it's long-term it's chronic, which I was not familiar with (laughs) At that point in my life, it doesn't go away, but it's also progressive. So it only goes in one direction. And even though I had that spike up um, at 16 months in, even when you're on a downward, if you can think of a downward line graph, you can have spikes up along that journey. And I was just in one of those spikes, Hmm. but I'm a very high functioning heart failure patient. And so I've learned a lot about rest and uh, doing a lot of my days are really short because heart failure makes you very tired because your heart is working extra hard to do just the normal things, but also the medication that treats heart failure causes fatigue. So Mm kind of a double whammy, but I've learned to just compress my day from both ends <laughs> and work in the middle and uh, a lot of dietary changes and a, a lot of medication. And I'm, I'm doing a lot better. I have seen my kids graduate, which I, they did not think that was going to happen. Uh, I became a grandma a year ago. 
and that was not even in the in the cards at that point. So life has been good, and uh, and my faith is so much stronger. That's amazing, and God is good, and God is using your story to encourage others and point others to Him. So your book. Divine Detours is out. Where can people find it and where can people connect with you? Yes. Um, Divine Detour is out and it's available on Amazon. If uh, anyone wants to read more about the book, there's a trailer and some more information on my website. And that is at lauriannwood.com slash books. And I also have, if anyone would be interested in the resource, I during that silent period, I was really scouring the scriptures, trying to figure out why I felt so abandoned. And I came up with a resource that's called Five Prayers and Promises When You Can't Talk to God. And that's available free on my website. If anyone would be interested, that's at lauriannwood.com slash hope. And we'll put these links in the show notes too, so everyone can find you. Do you hang out on social media at all? I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook mostly. Okay, so we will find you there as well. Lori, thank you so much for sharing your story, for being vulnerable and honest about that wrestling period that we go to go through. And we will certainly be keeping you in our prayers as you continue journeying with this illness and with God. Oh, thank you. It's been so great to be here. Thanks for joining me today. I hope we're already friends on social media, but if we're not, come find me on Instagram at Carla Arges or at Affirming Truth. Can't wait to see you back here next week. Bye, friends.